Welcome to Wild Women, hosted by Camille and Sarah. This is a podcast about mind, body, and pleasure, an honest talk on all things self-care. We discuss issues related to dating, fitness, beauty, mental health. We also discuss stuff about social issues, and we often have interviewees that come up and tell us a little bit about their businesses or their inspirations or motivations or just their journey through some type of recovery. For those of you who haven't listened to us before, this is our second season. Let's dive in. So welcome to Wild Women. Today we have a special guest with us. Her name is Carly Compton. So Carly, the first question we have is that on your Instagram, you refer to yourself as a self-love and confidence educator. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah, so I actually run monthly workshops, um, self-love and confidence workshops. And I feel like a lot of my platform, my Instagram is really focused around helping individuals find that self-love and to feel more confident in their bodies. And a lot of that looks like stepping away from toxic diet culture, understanding that our worth is not defined by our weight, um, all of these different ideas. Um, and a lot of the educating that I do is focused around health at every size, um, which you can find online. There's a, a lot of trainings and a curriculum really focused around that idea. So that's the core um, I guess like curriculum that I kind of follow as a self-love and confidence educator, but I just want to be that person that I didn't have when I was younger. Someone who is sharing with individuals that, um, you don't have to look a certain way and it's okay to have days where you wake up and you don't feel great in your body and all of these things that I wish I would have been told. So yeah, I would say that's kind of what the self-love and confidence educator side of me is, but yeah, just really putting, putting information out on my social media account and doing my workshops and stuff. Love it. Um, so you mentioned health at every size. So what is your approach towards like health in general and then the fitness? Yeah. So health at every size, I think is something that is super important for all of us to really become aware of. Um, it's really this idea that healthy doesn't have a look. And I think that's something that's really important for just individuals in general to understand as well as people in the fitness industry. Because I think from my experience in the fitness industry, there is that push to you know lose weight or to look a certain way or to tone your body in certain areas. And that is how a lot of people would determine their quote unquote health um, was based on what they looked like. And from my experience, someone who struggled with an eating disorder for many years, I might have looked quote unquote healthy, but in reality, I was struggling very badly. And so through my recovery, I saw my body changing. I gained weight and what a lot of people would think was me letting myself go or giving up and not caring about my health anymore was really me taking back my health and was really me taking back my life and, and recovering and healing from something that was extremely damaging to my body and to my mental health. And so I think that's why health at every size is so important is because it really allows for us to understand that 
healthy is literally going to look different on every single body. And we can't look at someone and assume their health because someone in a very, very small body could be really unhealthy. Someone in a larger body could be really healthy. And when we have these ideas in our head of what we think health looks like, that's when we have this weight stigma that goes on within the medical industry and all of these different areas. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I think health at every size is so important because it kind of removes that, that weight stigma. It kind of removes that idea of like, oh, you weigh this much. Let's put you on a diet first before we actually give you any sort of medical attention or any sort of support when in reality we should be supporting and and giving that medical help in whatever way we can, um, no matter what someone's size is. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I'm wondering what is your experience and what like tips would you give someone that is in the fitness world, but doesn't believe in the diet culture? And mm-hmm. how can you fight without like fight diet culture without feeling overwhelmed and exhausted? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just educating yourself. Um, that was the biggest thing for me. There's a book health at every size by Lindo Bacon, which I'm always recommending to people. That was a huge turning point for me. I learned so much just about the body and how our bodies work and, um, the science behind all of it. And that was really life-changing for me. And I think just doing your best to rewire your brain from this place of what we think health is, um, what we've been taught health is for so long. I think it's important for people to remember also, like, it's not your fault that you think and you feel a certain way because that's literally what we've been trained to think and believe about health for so long. And so I think surrounding yourself with other people within the fitness industry who are having that same conversation and who are working to step away from toxic diet culture and help people to just really heal their relationship with movement, um, which was a big thing for me in the fitness industry was being able to help people to heal their relationship with movement and understand that movement isn't punishment. And it is a form of celebration and it's a privilege to be able to move your body. And so I think when you're putting that messaging out there as a fitness, as someone in the fitness industry, healthier for you and those that you're working with, um, because you're taking away that pressure to see that physical change within someone else, within someone's body. And instead you're, you're really helping them to find a way to incorporate movement into their life in a way that they enjoy and in a way that is sustainable and that feels, feels good for them, which really should be the overall goal. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And in the fitness industry, I find that there's a lot of words that are thrown around like motivation, determination, all that, that have a lot of different connotations to them. And one of those words is strength. So what does strength mean to you? Yeah, I think for me in the stage of life that I'm in now, strength to me is more of a mental thing. And I think for me, at least that changes a lot. Sometimes I feel really strong physically. Sometimes I feel really strong mentally. And there's days where I feel really strong mentally where I don't feel super strong physically and vice versa. And so I think strength really is, you know, it's not about how, 
how heavy you're lifting. It's not about how far you can push yourself. It really is that, that mental strength, like how, what can you push through in terms of like hardships and those difficult things in your life? How do you, you know, work through bad body image days? How do you work through toxic diet culture talk? To me, I think that really is what strength is. It's being able to overcome a lot of these fat phobic messages that we have um, within society. It's being able to understand that, again, like I said, your worth is not defined by your weight and really being able to get to that place. To me, I think that is what strength looks like for me. I love your definition. You mentioned fat phobic. So a lot of people don't know that First of all, fat phobia exists, but could you explain to our listeners what it is and what it looks like in like a day-to-day life? Yeah. So I think a lot of times this can be super confusing for people because if you look at the definition of fat phobia, it is that fear of that fear of being fat. And so a lot of times people think, you know, oh, I'm not a, like, I'm not afraid of being fat or I'm not afraid of fat people. So I'm not fat phobic. When in reality, we have this, what's, what's called internalized fat phobia, where we might not think that we are afraid of being fat, but deep down, we really are. We're doing things, we're dieting. We, you know, are having these thoughts like, oh, what if I gain weight? That is fat phobia. That is a fear of being fat. And so I think we see this, you know, in the fitness industry, we see this on social media, we really see this everywhere. And I think it's really important for us to understand the roots of fat phobia. Where did they start? How did they start understanding and having those conversations about fat phobia being rooted in anti-blackness and racism and all of these really important things. And so it there's a lot more to fat phobia than this idea of being fat or this fear of being fat. There's a lot more there, but I think being able to, I think the hardest thing for a lot of people is coming to terms with the fact that they may have internalized fat phobia because mm-hmm. no one wants to admit that they're fat phobic. But I think for a lot of us, we have that internalized fat phobia just from being raised in the society that we've been raised in such a heavy diet culture driven society, we have developed this internalized fat phobia. So being able to come to terms with the fact that, okay, I have this internalized fat phobia and how do I work through it? How do I educate myself? How do I, you know, replace these, these thoughts of, you know, being afraid of gaining weight or looking a certain way or thinking what, what are people going to think of me and learning how to kind of replace those, those thoughts with something more positive. Yeah, definitely. I feel like that was such an important part of even like my own recovery. It was facing my internalized fat phobia. Um, You say that it's prevalent in the fitness and the modeling industry. Yeah, 100%. I think for a lot of people in the fitness industry, it's very prevalent because a lot of times you see and you hear certain trainers or people within the fitness industry saying certain things like, come on, like, you don't want to be fat. Like, let's do this. So we don't get fat or, you know, all of these different sort of sayings. And so saying those things, though, 
that's fat phobic. And I think, you know, threatening people with the idea of being, of getting fat is extremely fat phobic. And so I think we definitely see that in the fitness industry and we definitely see it in the modeling industry as well, in terms of a lot of brands saying that they're inclusive, but only going up to what would be considered like mid-size, size 12, 14, which is really the average size woman within the United States. So that's not very inclusive, (laughs) but this idea that, oh, we are carrying a size 12, we're inclusive, we're meeting the needs of fat people is fat phobic because it's, it's not inclusive and it's still forgetting you know, a lot of women who would be larger than a size 14. Yeah. And I also think there's this idea with a lot of brands too, like they don't want to send out this message that, you know, oh, we we're promoting an unhealthy lifestyle or, oh, we're promoting, you know, obesity or whatever, which is just so messed up to think that companies would think that by carrying a wide range of sizes, but you'd be very surprised. A hundred percent. And, you know, you even read studies that are done like about just all sizes across the board, whether it's a size two or a size 16, 18, all of those sizes are smaller now than they were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, like a size when you go to buy a size eight now, it's more like a size four back then. Yeah. You know? And I just, I, I find it ironic that, you know, there's more people like you, more people voicing, you know, like raising awareness about fat phobia and like talking about the issues related to um, just society's values of thinness and diet culture. And despite all that awareness being raised, we, we're still seeing you know this stuff happening uh, not behind the scenes but without people really realizing right yeah definitely and I think it's also super frustrating because I recently did a post on Instagram talking about how like I I was shopping and I was trying to buy, buy some new jean shorts and I had two pairs of shorts from the same exact place that were the same exact size and one of them fit me perfectly. And the other one did not even come close to buttoning. And I was thinking, I was like, no wonder people get so frustrated shopping because you can't go into the same store and even like have a size (laughs) that fits you the same in two different styles of shorts. So sizing is very, it's, it's very frustrating because I think a lot of times that's where a lot of our insecurities stem from is what size we are. And then we can't even figure out what size we are because when we go shopping, they're completely different. So yeah, it's very, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so frustrating. And like, like, I'm not going to lie. Like I am someone who totally avoids shopping. Like mm-hmm. anytime I can, you know, I'll throw clothes in the dryer a little bit longer. I'll hang them soaking wet a little bit longer, like anything yeah. so that I don't have to go buy new clothes. You know, it's uh, frustrating to say the least. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to body acceptance and body neutrality, what do those terms mean to you? And how do they differ from, you know, a more common term like body positivity? Yeah. So for me, something I've learned and really gotten into over the last, you know, year, year and a half is 
really being able to distinguish the difference in those two things. I think it's really important for people to understand the roots of the body positivity community, um, the movement itself, how it was created, why it was created, and who it was created for. This is a movement that was created by fat, queer people to celebrate and give space for those marginalized bodies. And as someone who is white, who is midsize, who is heterosexual, that's not a community that was created for me. That's a community that was created for the people that I just described. And I think a lot of times within our society, we see white women taking over space in communities that weren't made for us, whitewashing them and turning those communities into very white driven communities. And that's not something I want to do. That's not something I want to be a part of. So that's one reason why I don't identify as being part of the body positivity community is because it's not a community that was made for me and I'll be an ally and I'll support those people how in whatever way that I can, but I, I don't want to be someone who takes up space there, which is why I identify more with body neutrality, body acceptance, because that, you know, it's a movement. It's something that describes how I feel about my body. Some days I'm super accepting of my body and I really love my body. Other days it's kind of this neutral feeling and I'm not super loving and it's hard for me to, you know, have days where, you know, I wake up and I feel really great in my body. And so I think understanding the difference in those two things in body neutrality, body acceptance and body positivity is super important for a lot of people because that's not a conversation that's had a lot. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people label themselves as body positive and you can look on, you know, TikTok and Instagram, and you have all of these huge creators who have hundreds of thousands of followers who are white, who are midsize or in smaller bodies, who identify as body positive and who are like leading the body positivity community or movement. And it's sad because that's not, that's not what that movement was created for. So yeah, I think body neutrality and body acceptance for me is just, yeah, being able to understand this is my body and I don't have to wake up every morning and think about how I'm going to change it or how I'm going to lose weight. I can wake up every morning and not think about my body and just live. And so that really is, I think, where I stand in terms of those two terms. Yeah, I totally get that. And like, let's be honest, I made that mistake as well because uh, when I started my eating disorder recovery, that was a community that kind of co-opted that movement, if I'm being honest. And so like we had to educate ourselves and learn, oh, you know what? It's actually not about us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was, I made that mistake as well for so long. I considered myself body positive, but that was before I really knew what the movement was about, what, and who it was created for, because that conversation wasn't really being had or it was being had, but I wasn't hearing it or I wasn't being a part of it, which I think is why it's so important to have the conversation now, because I'm always telling people like, it's totally okay to, to change your mind and to, to, to say, yeah, I used to identify as this and that was a mistake. And now I know that. And now I, I know where I stand and where I fall. And so I think, yeah, having those conversations is super important. 
you've mentioned before about how health is often thought to be linked to someone's body size and someone's body weight. And I truly believe like this is a, such an important topic. Can you tell us a little bit about like your experience with it? And if you faced it, like those judgments? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I have always been a little bit in like in a chubbier body. I've always been in, in a larger body growing up. I was always the chubby the chubby one. I was always, and I always like hit it with, with humor. So I was always the chubby, funny girl. And yeah, it was really hard for me to find my place growing up. I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing, who I was supposed to be, like what I was supposed to look like. It was really hard for me to figure out my identity and and where I fit in. And so from there, about my junior year of high school is when I developed my eating disorder because I for so long just thought that all of my problems would be solved if I looked a certain way. I thought that, you know, I would be liked and I would, you know, all of these different things would happen in my life if I just looked a certain way. And so my eating disorder came about about my junior year of high school. And I struggled with that for about five years into college. And like I mentioned earlier, when I was in my eating disorder, and I was seeing changes in my body, I was hiding it with fitness and eating healthy. And so most people in my life thought that that was why my body was changing. No one had any idea that I had an eating disorder. And I think the scary part about it too was no one questioned it because I didn't quote unquote look like I had an eating disorder, which is super a super toxic thing as well. But I think... Yeah, when I was in my eating disorder, I was getting so many comments from people like, you look amazing. Oh, you're so dedicated. Oh, I wish I had what it takes to do what you do and to look like you look. And I think that was fueling my eating disorder because I knew, oh, it's working. Oh, it's my body's changing. And so when I started my recovery and I started to see my body changing. I started to gain weight and people just assumed, oh, she let herself go or, oh, she stopped caring. I stopped posting about working out as much as I used to, because that wasn't a priority for me. I stopped talking about diets and, you know, calorie counting and portioning out your food because that was just necessary in my recovery Mm -hmm. for me to give up that conversation. And I think it was really hard for me to hear people say things like, oh, you let yourself go. Oh, you've gained weight. When in reality, deep down, I knew that I was doing what was best for myself and my health. And so, yeah, I've definitely experienced that firsthand where people just assume that because I gained weight, I was becoming unhealthy or I was letting myself go. When in reality, I was doing the best thing that I possibly could for myself. So I think, yeah, that's one reason why I'm so passionate about health at every size and really helping people to understand that just because you're in a larger body doesn't mean that you're unhealthy. I find myself saying a lot that weight gain is oftentimes the best thing that someone can do for themselves. And I think that's a really powerful statement because for so long, 
And still, we are sending out this message that weight gain means you've given up or you're weak yeah. or you have no control. When in reality, it could be one of the, the strongest things that someone chooses to do for themselves. So I think that's a really important conversation that needs to continue to be had. I think it's thankfully becoming more common for people to understand that idea that health really does look different on everyone. I also find myself oftentimes saying like, it's none of my business, whether or not someone's healthy or not, yeah. uh, whether or not someone's in a, in a place in their life where they are choosing to, you know, focus on their health. That's none of my business. It's no one's business what someone's choosing to do with their bodies or what they're choosing to go through or, or whatever that may be. And so I'm like, whether you're healthy or not, I'm not going to comment on your body. <laughs> I'm not going to give you unsolicited advice. And I think that's something that we need to focus on a lot as a generation is being able to just say other people's bodies aren't really any of my business. And so why do I care so much about how someone else looks or the health of someone else instead just be the best support that you can be without giving off the, that judgment or those unsolicited comments. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I agree with everything he just said. And it's definitely like harder for weight gain because you have the whole society telling you that you shouldn't and it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's hard. It's a hard thing to navigate. Yeah. You, which I think is why it's so important that we, that you find your community and you find people on social media and in, in, in your life who are going to understand and who are going to be there and support you and who aren't going to make judgments and who aren't going to stigmatize you based on your weight and who are just going to be like, we understand your healing. We understand that your body is going to change many, many times over the course of your life. And so, yeah, finding those people is crucial. It's yeah. very, very important. Yeah. One thing that frustrates me a lot with the way like society is right now, it's they expect you to have the same exact body throughout your life. Even after pregnancy, you have to get back to that body. Yeah. And it's not supposed to be that way. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's something that I find myself talking about a lot too, is this idea, like a lot of the people that I work with, a lot of people who do my workshops, they'll mention that they have these like, quote unquote, goal clothes, these like jeans that they've had since high school that they're like, I just want to fit back into them. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you've been out of high school for five plus years. <laughs> And why would you expect yourself to fit into the same clothes that you fit into when you were still a child? And so, yeah, I always find myself that and they're always like, oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> like, obviously I'm not supposed to still fit in those clothes. Mm -hmm. And so being able to understand and be okay with the fact that your body is always going to be changing. For example, a lot of our bodies changed over the course of COVID. And that was an extreme stressor that a lot of us were going through. And weight gain was just a way that our bodies were coping with such a stressful situation. And not that we need to validate why we gain weight, but I think that's something that a lot of people have come to terms with is that idea that, okay, my body's going to change when I go through things. And when I'm either going through something really difficult or I'm starting to really enjoy my life. Like you're always going to see your body fluctuating. And so, yeah, being able to understand that it's completely normal, it's completely healthy and it doesn't mean, 
you know, you're letting yourself go or whatever it is that society might be telling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest issues is just the normalization of, you know, a lot of these like fat phobic ideas. Like some people don't, don't even realize that they are, you know, being fat phobic or that they're, they are, you know, just saying things that, that just don't make sense, you know, like stuff like, oh, I want to be the same size I was in high school or like, I need to get back to my pre-pregnancy body, like stuff like that. Like it's so normalized that people don't even realize it. Definitely. Yeah. So how do you find balance between, you know, your fitness regimen and your nutrition, but then also, you know, being in your community of body acceptance and neutrality? Yeah. I think a huge thing for me, and kind of like I mentioned a little bit earlier, fitness for me, movement for me, isn't a chore anymore. It's movement for me now is like I said, a celebration. I've come to the understanding that moving my body is a privilege and that's not something that most, that all people have. Mm -hmm. And being able to change my way of thinking around that has made movement a completely different experience for me than what it was before. I like to use the term movement because I think for a lot of people and for myself, exercise has this like negative connotation to it. People like, if I say, oh, I need to exercise. I'm like, ugh, gross. (laughs) Like that doesn't sound fun. But when I say, oh, I want I need to move my body or I'm feeling like I need to move my body for me that that could look a lot of different ways that could be walking or dancing or hiking. And so being able to give myself that freedom to choose how I want to move my body and learning to rewire my brain from thinking that I have to move my body in a certain way in order for it to qualify as exercise has been huge. And same with food. I am still working on this in terms of intuitive eating and learning how to listen to my body and give my body what it needs while also not restricting myself has been the most important thing I've ever, I've ever decided to do for myself because food now is, is fun. It's enjoyable. I can go out to, to dinner with friends and not think twice about what's going to be on the menu. I can host parties and not worry about having something healthy for me to, to have there. Food really is, it it is also a celebration for me. And I think it's that way because for so many years, food was in my mind, my enemy. It was something that I really struggled with, obviously within my eating disorder, but I think, yeah, being able to heal those two relationships in terms of my relationship with movement and my relationship with food has allowed me to be in the space that I am in right now on social media and in my life in terms of body acceptance and body neutrality. Those two things play a huge role in all of that. We have to eat. It's part of being a human and our bodies thrive when we move it and we, you know, we feel strong and we, we give it what it needs. And so I think just being able to find what works for me has been huge. And that's something that I'm always telling people is my type of movement is going to look very different than your type of movement Mm -hmm. and the way that I fuel my body 
is going to look very different than the way that you fuel your body. And that's okay. There's not one way to do everything. We all live very different lives. We all react differently to certain foods. We all enjoy certain movements. And so finding ways to move your body in a way that you enjoy, in a way that is fun and and focused around celebration and finding ways to fuel your body without restricting. Definitely. And since you're in the modeling world, and even the fitness world, have you felt like some people, because I'm guessing you had to be really careful recovering from your eating disorder, having to choose the people around you carefully, because mm-hmm. I feel like those two worlds are, are going to try to push ideas on you. Mm-hmm. Have you felt that? Have you had to stand up for yourself? Yeah, it's actually funny because modeling was something that was super beneficial for me in my recovery, which isn't always the case. I feel like that's not very common. So I was living in Hawaii at the time where I did my undergrad and I just was randomly working with this small bikini company who asked me to shoot for, to shoot for some of their, their pieces And that was the first time I'd ever modeled. And I remember, um, I hadn't started my recovery yet, but I remember looking back at the photos and just thinking, wow, it is so amazing how someone can capture your body in so many different ways through a camera. Mm -hmm. And through my recovery, I found that being in front of the camera was a really great way for me to celebrate my body. I wasn't able to, you know, the photos were sent to me and I wasn't able to Photoshop them. Like I could have, but like, it it wasn't something that I was able to do. And so I was seeing these photos of my, of my body real and raw and thinking, wow, like this is such a beautiful way to capture our bodies. And so from there, I kind of continued modeling kind of just randomly. And then when I moved to LA, I got signed with an an agency here. And the first thing I said to my agent, thankfully, when I, when I got signed, I was in a pretty good headspace. I had been in recovery for quite a while. And the first thing I said to her was the only reason I want to sign with an agency is because I want to represent those girls that I never saw represented when I was younger. I wanted to be in those ads and I wanted little girls to see me and say, wow, she looks like me. And there is nothing wrong with my body because they have someone modeling who looks like me. And so thankfully I've been able to do that with brands like Adidas. I got to do an Adidas ad. I got to do an Apple commercial. I've had really amazing opportunities where I've been able to not have to change my body and just show up as I am and be accepted for the way that I am. Of course, I am very privileged to be in a mid-sized body, but to see a mid-sized body represented was something that I never saw growing up. And yeah. so I have an amazing, an amazing agent who would never ask me to change my body, who would never ask me to lose weight for a job. And so I think that was huge for me because I could have been, it could have been very different. But I'm yeah. so glad that like, it still exists mm-hmm. like, that like nowadays, like it is starting to be more common. 
because yeah. like you said me either like growing up like I didn't see that at all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and it's it's really exciting because there is a lot more like inclusivity happening we see you know a lot of we see a very wide range of models which I think is is huge um I have a couple friends who consider themselves plus size who are walking in Miami swim week this week. And that's something that we would never have seen a couple years ago. We see Victoria's Secret getting rid of their angels and revamping their entire marketing. And that's something that we've been asking Victoria's Secret to do for years. (laughs) So we're seeing change happening. It's just, it's important that we continue to hold those brands accountable because it's easy for a brand to say, okay, yeah, we're going to make this change and then wait for it to kind of die down and go back to to certain ways. So yeah, just continuing to hold brands accountable is yeah. Super Mm -hmm. important to me. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, it's great that we have made all this work, but I feel like there's still more work to be done. Definitely. Definitely. There's always going to be work to be done. (laughs) Yes. So I know that we're talking a lot about this modeling industry, but if you had to choose like your favorite aspect of it, and then one aspect that you wish you could change like today, what would the, what would they be? So I think my favorite aspect um, is kind of like what I just mentioned, the ability to be able to show all types of bodies. We have, you know, like my friend um, just modeled for a brand. He He's transgender and they've never had a transgender model. And so seeing brands doing that now is huge. Um, we're not just seeing representation in terms of size, but we're seeing representation in terms of sexual orientation and gender and, and all of that, which is huge. So I, th- and like we said, there's still a lot to be done, but I think being able to see such a wide range of different people and different experiences within one ad or within one brand um, is super exciting to me. And then I would say the one part that is super frustrating to me or is really hard for me is the idea that there is still so much Photoshop happening. There's still so much editing happening. We see this with the Kardashians and them thinking that what they're doing in terms of Photoshopping their bodies is just normal, not feeling guilty for it in in any way. I think that's hard for me. I think there's no, I, I, I believe there should be more restriction in terms of editing, photoshopping, and stuff like that with brands and even on social media. I think it was just in the UK, they announced that all photos that have been photoshopped now have to be, you have to mention um, that they're photoshopped, which I think is huge. I think that's a really important step to take. So hopefully we get there, but I think that's probably one of the hardest, the hardest parts of all of it for me is that there are still so many brands that are heavily photoshopping are heavily editing photos so it's hard for individuals to know what is real and what isn't real and so yeah finding those brands that are going to show you real bodies um, and supporting those brands is something that I'm always recommending people to do yeah I love it you mentioned that you had an eating disorder and that you had to recover from it And so what was like your experience with that? And can you explain some of the challenges that may be unique to your recovery and how you overcame them? Yeah, so 
I think one of the hardest parts of all of it was the fact that no one knew. I was very, very scared to tell my family. And when I did start sharing it openly, um, I remember my mom being like, what the heck? Like, what did I do wrong? How did I, how did this happen? And that was the reason why I didn't tell her is because I didn't want her to feel that way. I didn't want her to be afraid um, and all of that stuff. But I think feeling like I was going through it alone was the hardest part. I didn't have, or there may have been support groups, but I just didn't know of them. Um, Now I feel like there's a lot more online support groups where you can just log on and no one has to know, and you can just get support and, and be around people who are going through similar things. That wasn't something I had when I was in my eating disorder. I wish I would have, cause I think it would have been very helpful, but yeah, I struggled for about five years and I think the hardest part was, yeah, feeling lonely, feeling like my body was never small enough. Um, this body dysmorphia idea was very prevalent in my life at that time. And so, yeah, just feeling like I needed to keep going and push a little bit further um, to get to what society deemed an acceptable body. And then finally, one day I felt terrible. I didn't feel good. I was very weak and I knew it was my eating disorder. I knew it was lack of nourishment. It was over-exercising. My body was just exhausted. And I was like, okay, uh, this doesn't feel good. (laughs) I don't want to feel this way. I don't want to live this way. And so that was when I decided that I needed to start my recovery. I was very lucky in, in, in the fact that I, I didn't need to go into any sort of inpatient treatment. It really was me kind of just doing it all on my own. I found an amazing community online, some other women who had recovered from their eating disorders. So I found myself turning to them a lot, getting support from them and educating myself on health at every size and all of these different things was huge in my recovery But I think my, most importantly, my social media platform was crucial in my recovery because I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I wanted to be upfront with everyone and everyone on my social media was very accepting, very supportive. And they knew, oh, you're struggling today. What do you need? Um, How can we support you? And I think that was huge for me and why my why that community has grown so much over the last couple of years is because I've allowed that vulnerability to be there. I feel like I've created a space where anyone who's struggling can feel like they can share that and they can have a space to open up about it because they provided that for me. And so I feel like I, I have to give that back to them now. Mm -hmm. Um, and I want to give it back to them. So yeah, I would say, that's kind of been, yeah, that, that experience with my eating disorder. And social media can be like so triggering for so many people, but I love the fact that you really, you were able to create that safe space within it and Mm -hmm. for yourself and for other people. Like I love seeing your posts. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's very important to me. I have this fear of like, 
meeting someone who follows me on social media in real life and then being like, oh my God, <laughs> like you are not anything like you are online <laughs> or, or whatever that may be. And so I'm like, I want to show up on good days. I want to show up on bad days. I want to be able to create that yeah, safe space, um, not only for me, but for other people as well. Hmm. And it's so, so important. Thank yeah. you. Sure. Now, when it comes to, uh, I don't even know if this is a question or just a statement that you might have like to comment on, but recently at work, you know, this girl opened up to me. She's like, like just the way that she was describing her relationship with food now, mm-hmm. like it, it didn't even sound healthy, you know, like she has her fear food. She has, you know, rules, she has this, that, or the other, she feels super guilty after eating certain foods. And like all of that to me, like that, that's a disordered, like frame of mind around food and stuff. But at the same time, like she's, you know, on by societal terms or whatever her doctor told her that she had to be is healthy. Like, do you come across clients like that? Like, do you come across women like that? And like, what would you tell someone who might be struggling with that? Yeah. And I think you made a really good point. I, something that I've been having a lot of conversation around is that difference between an eating disorder and disordered eating, because I think a lot of times people don't really understand the difference for me. I think. I don't see a huge difference in the two. Um, I think that a lot of times disordered eating is, is more quote unquote socially acceptable because it's these types of diets and restriction and extreme calorie counting that for so many has, for so many people has just been, been normalized within our society. But if you're in the eating disorder field, or if you're in the health at every size field, you know, that those are disordered eating habits, um, having fear foods, restricting yourself, um, feeling guilt after eating something compared to an eating disorder, which can oftentimes be maybe a little bit more severe or more easily diagnosed. Like it's easier for someone to be diagnosed with it because it's more clear that what they're doing is unhealthy. So for me, I think I struggle with those two because I, I see such similarities in them. Um, in my mind, I think disordered eating can lead to more extreme eating disorders, but I think also disordered eating, it's, it's important for people to understand that any sort of restriction, any sort of guilt, all of these types of things is disordered eating, no matter what society tells you, no matter what, you know, they tell us it's normal. They tell us it's okay. You'll have doctors tell you, okay, Hey, restrict yourself to this many calories, Um, or cut out these foods or whatever it may be and literally recommending disordered eating. And so I think that can be really difficult for people to understand because their doctor's telling them, Hey, what you're doing is great. Obviously you're losing weight and, you know, maybe let's continue to cut out these foods or let's continue to keep it at this many calories And so people assume that it's healthy and people assume that what they're doing is just normal, but I've definitely come across those 
those conversations and those people who say, well, my doctor told me that I should eat this amount of calories. And while I'm not a doctor and I'm not going to tell you what to do with your body, I know that 1200 calories is what is usually recommended to a toddler. And so any adult should not be eating 1200 calories or less as a full grown adult. So I think having those conversations and letting people know that, Hey, you don't have to feel guilty about certain foods and food is food. And you don't have to restrict yourself just kind of being a good example to them because you're not going to be able to change someone in their way of thinking unless they want to be, unless they want to change and they want to change their way of thinking. And so I've, I've, I've come to learn that all I can do is really be an example And people will come to me when they're ready to come to me when they want to really change that relationship or they've come to that realization that, okay, maybe this hasn't been super helpful for me because now I have this really unhealthy relationship with food. And so, yeah, when those people come to me, it's, it's me saying, this isn't your fault. This is how, this is what you've been told is normal. This is what you've been told is quote unquote healthy but you can change and you can heal that relationship with food, but you have to be ready and you have to be willing. And so just telling them I'm here when you're ready to do that, I'll support you. I will share any sort of resources. And I, I found that to be the most beneficial when it comes to that. Yeah. I find it so, so frustrating because I've heard so many stories of people in larger bodies struggling with any changes or or disordered eating and then going to their doctor and their doctor just enabling that unhealthy behaviors Mm -hmm. just because of fat phobia. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that is, is super important within the health at every size community is the, the, like I mentioned, there is curriculum and there's all of these webinars. And I think it's great because a lot of therapists are focusing their practice around health at every size. A lot of doctors, physicians are starting to center their practice around health at every size and understanding that someone's denying, denying being weighed, totally fine. I don't need to judge them. I don't need to ask questions. Um, And I think that's really important within the medical industry because so many people avoid going to the doctor out of fear of being weighed and being judged Um, and health issues end up getting worse and worse. And, you know, it's, it's that weight stigma that I mentioned a little bit earlier, this idea that a doctor will see your weight, look at the BMI chart and recommend you lose weight first before they decide to actually figure out what's wrong with you or what's going on with your health, which is really wrong. It's extremely wrong to just assume that someone needs to lose weight before we can move forward with any other sort of treatment. But yeah, it's, it's in the medical field. And I think it's important to remind people also you have the right to not be weighed or you have the right to ask, can you not tell me my weight? Can I do a blind weigh in? That is your right. And that is something that a lot of people don't know. And I think that's something that is important for people to know, especially people who are triggered by the scale. 
who may have struggled with an eating disorder, who may see their weight for the first time in years and spiral into relapse. So I think, yeah, being able to understand that you have the right to say, nope, I don't want to see it. Or can you just not weigh me? Sure. Um, so before we wrap this up, I do want to hear a little bit about the programs you offer, whether it's your fitness programs, where you talk about your, on your podcast and even, uh, your self-love workshop. Um, so do you mind talking about those things a little bit? Yeah, of course. When I first started paradise fitness with Carly, I was very focused on the fitness side of it. I recorded at home workouts. I did all of these things, um, because I wanted to be able to provide a safe space for people to move their bodies. And over the years, I've kind of like moved away from that. Um, I still have the workouts. I still, people can still purchase them, but they're not really a focus for me because I found that my workshops and my one-on-one coaching are a lot more important to me. I I run a monthly workshop, self-love and confidence workshop that is four weeks long. And we meet once a week for one hour over zoom as a group. And we talk about topics like self-love, self-worth, stepping into your confidence and breaking up with toxic diet culture. Those are our four main topics. And you can do that workshop as part of the group. So each workshop only is only 15 people. Um, or you can do the workshop one-on-one. So if you want to, to work through the workshop just with me one-on-one, you also have that option. That's also a good option for people who live in a different country, whose time zone might be super, super different from me. And they realize they can't meet when we usually meet. So they usually do the one-on-one option. And then I also do one-on-one mentoring. So I work with women um, monthly one-on-one and that's not really any specific topics. It's really just what people are bringing in. So um, if someone's really struggling with their relationship with movement, then that's what we'll focus on that month. So that one's a little bit more open in terms of like what the topics are. It's a little bit more unique to each individual person. So yeah, those are the two main things that I offer, but yeah, the July workshop um, is starting on Sunday. And so, yeah, I'm super excited. I launched my workshops during COVID and it's been like one of my all-time favorite things that I've ever (laughs) decided to do because the community is just absolutely amazing. And it's such a great way for people to give themselves an hour each week to, to really focus on themselves and, and be surrounded by like-minded and empowering people. How do you balance everything out of like modeling and then your own coaching? How do you balance everything out? Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I feel like some days I do it really well and other days I don't. Um, I'm also getting my master's. So I'm um, getting my master's of social work and it's been really nice because right now we're on summer break, but um, the end of August, we start classes back up and I feel like within my program, they've been really, they've, they've really focused on forcing us all to figure out how to balance our lives, especially like when we go to meet with clients or something, figuring out how do you detach, you know, what you've experienced from what a client is experiencing. And so I found that to be really helpful just in my everyday life of like, okay, 
today I want to focus on the podcast. So I'll do my podcast stuff. And if I want to do other things, then I can. But giving myself that grace and understanding that I might not get everything done on my to-do list and that's totally fine. But I try to set boundaries certain days of the week. I try to not work on certain things to give myself a break. So yeah, self-care is so important. Yes, definitely. (laughs) And I'm in social work as well. So I can see how difficult that can be sometimes to Mm -hmm. detach from what your clients bring. Yeah. Definitely. And I think, yeah, I'm very thankful because the program I'm in is very good about making sure we are figuring that out because yeah, it can be hard to not bring things home. Yeah. Certain things. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're providing this space for these types of conversations. Um, I think it's really important and I'm very thankful that you thought of me to come on and, and chat. Of course, I was so excited for you to come on. And I'm just so thankful that you said yes, like right away. No, I totally understand. I I go through that with my podcast as well, where I'm like, please respond. Come on. So yeah, I am always willing to talk wherever I can to get those, those really important messages out. Yeah, perfect. I have one last question for you. What is your favorite kind of self-care? My favorite type of self-care. Honestly, I feel like it's always changing. I am really into skincare. I love masks. I love I love skincare. So cliche, but I really do love skincare. So finding time to dermaplane my face or put a mask on or whatever it may be, um, I love. Another one would be um, just like taking time to slow down and be with my dog that always makes me feel a lot better when I get like cuddles and I can just like cuddle with him for hours on the couch. I'm like, okay, I'm rejuvenated. I'm recharged. So yeah, that and like journaling and, and dancing and throwing on a good song and just, yeah, letting my body do what it needs to do. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Trying to stay at the same time. Um, Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me.